0: We are live. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for the second video podcast of INC Radio. My name has been Carl Bainbridge, and that is Claire Richardson returning to YouTube after a long hiatus. It is Claire Richardson, better known as Uncle Joey MMA. Uh, Claire, welcome back to the world of YouTube creating. Oh, yeah feels great to be back, it feels like it's
1: been like forever since I uploaded something and also forever since I talked to you. There's been so much that has been happening, basically, it's just been a whole whirlwind of emotions really.
0: Seven days and we have had so much franticness in the world of mixed martial arts. We've had fight cards which have been cancelled, we've had last minute replacements, a potential fight announcements, which considering we're in the middle of a global pandemic, and there is no events taking place. It has been absolutely hectic.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every single day, something's
0: changing. And a lot of fascinating stories for us to be talking about. And then, of course, we'll be having some uh, viewer questions at the end of the show. Just a chance for myself and Claire to find up between ourselves, get a little bit nostalgic about what's been happening in the sport. How have you been keeping though?
1: Uh, basically, I've just been editing. I've been trying to get some content ready to go i got some stuff ready to go up next week so just been keeping busy like that
0: i have to say from my own personal perspective i've also got a video which is in the works i hope to have that one uploaded by wednesday uh keep in touch to the uh, community tab on the youtube channel Uh, you'll get a little bit of a teaser over what that could be and some of the people who are mentioned in that Before we do anything else, though, we need to be turning to... I want to say a big thank you, first and foremost, to the people who tuned in for the last video podcast. It was the first time that we did upload a full episode onto YouTube. Uh, The viewing numbers maybe were a little bit lower than some of the videos that I normally get in. But I think over seven days to have 600 people uh, listening to us blabbering on about nothing. I think that's fairly impressive.
1: Yeah, that's good enough for me.
0: And slightly scary as well. before we get anywhere though we need to be talking about the big story this one dominated the entire five days over the weekday it is of course usc 249 as you saw from the graphic which i forgot to turn off by the time i started this show uh which is of course usc 249 was formally cancelled on friday but the road getting there was in itself almost bizarre going on obviously We'll start off with what happened on Monday, where Khabib Nurmagomedov formally announced he wouldn't be a part of USC 249, meaning his fight with Tony Ferguson cancelled for a 5th time. Justin Gagey was announced as Ferguson's replacement, and the USC did go ahead with a lot of the marketing and the promotion, they read the fight poster, it looked like it would be taking place. Tony Ferguson would be fighting Justin Gagey for the interim lightweight title. There were a lot of rumours over where this fight was going to be taking place, there were rumours that it could be on a fight island, which we'll be discussing in a little bit more detail later on in the show, but all indications seemed to be it was going to be taking place in California, Tai Chi Palace, uh, which is a native American casino, word started to spread about the event taking place there, the California governor, governor put in a warning, said we don't want this fight taking place on, in our state, and then eventually Disney themselves through ESPN, had to go to Dana White and say, look, we need you to cancel this event. Dana obliged, and he we sit here today. No event taking place next week. Start so with you, Claire, firstly for me, from a fan perspective, and then from a human perspective, was this the right call from the UFC? In terms
1: of them cancelling it, or pushing on and putting it at Taji?
0: Um, cancelling.
1: Uh, From a fan's perspective, yeah, that could piss, piss people off, but in terms of like a human perspective, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, honestly. It should have been cancelled a lot earlier. They shouldn't have been pushing all this so far and so fast.
0: And why do you think the UFC chose to push ahead?
1: I feel like maybe they had uh, the perfect opportunity they felt like they were the only guys really left other than WWE but in terms of actual sports they were the only one really left so I feel like they had that opportunity to jump on it get some extra viewers
0: I think maybe there's a there's definitely a financial incentive towards this because Mm -hmm. like you mentioned before I think Dana White saw maybe the benefits of being the only game in town and thinking hey if we've got no NFL, we've got no hockey, we've got no baseball, we're going to be gathering all those fans. But my big concern with that is I don't think that people have the appetite for sport right now, considering what's happening in the world. And yes. also as well, can you really expect people with unemployment so high to be paying the $60, $70 to watch a five-card pay-per-view in front of the audience? I mean, people like to point the idea and say, hey, well, they'll get all those extra viewers. But they fought that with the Kevin Lee Oliveira card, and that pulled the worst mm-hmm. numbers that ESPN have ever done so far. Was that on straight ESPN, not ESPN Plus? Straight ESPN. Oh, okay. So, yeah. And I mean, that card maybe didn't have the most star power filled with mm-hmm. a lot of local Brazilian fighters, but you think if they were the only game in town, they'd be doing a lot better than what they did.
1: Definitely. That was such a strange card. It felt like it was cursed up until the uh, Damian Maya fight. It was all decisions.
0: Well, Moyakano as well.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I was so happy for Moyakano as well. I've been quite high on him for a while. So I was glad to see him bounce back because people forget he was, at one, ta- at one time, he was being touted as a, a potential title challenger. And then Jose Aldo rediscovered his old form and whipped him. Yeah. <laughs> Now they're two two two-way classes apart which is, it's so surreal what's happening, especially at Bantamweight, we'll be discussing that in a lot more detail There's going goings on at Bantamweight Um, Just getting back on tangent though, I think another factor as well is something which came out on the Saturday which is that ESPN has a contract with the UFC that the company has to put on 42 events every year, that's including pay-per-views, so pay-per-views and Fight Nights has to total 42. Now, David's going to be struggling to make that number if we have another two or three month delay. So he might have been pushing ahead so he doesn't break that kind of contract. Maybe him persevering and then getting to the stage where ESPN have to jump in was maybe him saying, all right, I'll cancel this show, but in return, we're only doing this said number. So the UFC aren't liable to not meeting their end of the deal
1: well i didn't know about that 42 event thing it sort of makes sense now when you think about how dana was saying how he's going to put fights on like every week sometimes during the weekdays on Fight island it makes sense now why he said that
0: i think there's a lot of companies which are in that same kind of deal i know that i think it's disowned are okay. trying to re- renegotiate their contracts with all their different boxing promotions because obviously they can't put on events but mm-hmm. disorder being quite vigilant and saying, hey, you signed up for this amount. You need to give us this amount.
1: Mm-hmm. It's hard to see what they're going to do, though, at this point in time,
0: really. That being said, I, I do agree with you from a, a fight fan perspective because for two reasons. One, I think... We are starting to get a bit starved with a lack of MMA content, especially shows like this where we need to be talking about what's been happening in the world of sport. And if we don't have fights being arranged, we don't have fights taking place, that's going to be very difficult for ourselves. But also as well, considering the circumstances, that 249 card looked pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, it seemed like they sort of took a mix of all the other cards that got cancelled and sort of threw in some new fights in there, like you got Luke versus Price, Uh, Stevens versus Cato, was that?
0: That was going to be on 249 anywhere.
1: Oh, okay. (laughs) And you got um, Michael Johnson versus Karma Worthy. I don't think that was, uh, was that announced before for any fight night or anything?
0: I think Johnson was but not him versus Karma Worthy. And that was going to be on Fight Pass.
1: Yeah, that was going to be an early prelim. I'm looking at it right now.
0: (laughs) Tell you what, Michael Johnson has the strangest career of Mm -hmm. any UFC fighter I can think of. Because, I mean, you look at the guys that he's beaten. I mean, it's like Dustin Poirier, Tony Ferguson, Edson Barboza. And then he's losing to Stevie Ray.
1: Mm -hmm. He's getting knocked out by Josh Emmett.
0: No shame about that, though. Josh Emmett can crack featherweight. He is Mm -hmm. so powerful.
1: Yeah, I believe that was Emmett's first fight since the Stevens fight, so he was coming out for blood.
0: <laughs> Tell you what, people always say, like, who's going to be that sort of Michael Bisbee figure, that sort of middle-of-the-road fighter that suddenly becomes a champion? You could see Emmett just going on this knockout run, just this great run of momentum and beating someone.
1: Mm-hmm. I feel like he was doing good in that Stevens fight until he got, you know, his face reconstructed. Like that was a brutal stoppage because he had so many injuries after that fight. Like he, at one point, he didn't even think that he was going to fight again. Like he almost lost his eye or something. Like that's bad.
0: The big one as well in terms of that card. What I wanted to talk about was especially Francis and Garn and Jozsef and Strike because mm-hmm. that's not only that's that's a great fight in itself, but they were going to put that on ESPN. <laughs> that was going to be headlining the prelims. That's how big this card potentially could have been. Do you think that was maybe because it was supposed to headline the Columbus card, and maybe the UFC thought, well, we promised Francis Ngannou versus Voice and Strike for free. We can't then ask people to pay sixty, seventy dollars to watch it.
1: Okay, yeah, that that does make sense. Yeah. yeah, I could see them doing that.
0: Or maybe they were worthy of it. Would well, not worthy, worthy of it being a stereo match. Because everyone thought, Dirk, Lewis, Francis, and Nganu, that's going to be an epic wild brawl, and then we had it.
1: Yeah, there's still that
0: lingering feeling
1: that something like that could happen, but I I like Nganu's current style. I feel like that won't happen again, really. I feel like that was just right place at the wrong time when uh, Lewis and Nganu stepped into the octagon. Like, that was just a mixture of just so many bad things.
0: Well, didn't you touch on that in one of your videos, Confident Francis?
1: Yeah, it was, um, oh, what was it called? Humbled and Gone It. I uh, did his career after the Steep Bay fight, but I skipped right over the Lewis fight. <laughs> didn't include any highlights of that.
0: I actually do think, you know, that it's actually a genuinely entertaining fight to watch. Not because of the action itself, but because Joe Rogan just goes absolutely insane watching it. He gets yeah, more and more angry as it goes on. It's so funny. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the crowd reaction is pretty good, too. They pull out the phones, pull out the lighters. It's like a concert.
0: Because <laughs> what, what was the line? Dom- I think Dominic Cruz says something like, what happens if, if this fight goes to a draw? And Joe says, can we both lose? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Moving to the main event, though. The main event itself, actually the fight getting booked, that's going to raise a lot of questions in regards to the UFC because... Fan demand is still there for Tony versus Khabib. All yeah. logic says that the UFC should run that fight as soon as it's viable to do so. So we're going to be looking around about September time because Khabib, obviously, he'll be um, going through Ramadan. But Getty signed a contract. Getty has signed a contract to fight Tony Ferguson for an interim title. So mm. the UFC need to be renegotiating on that side. And if they can't... Who is there for Khabib to fight than a certain Irishman who's been campaigning non-stop for a rematch?
1: Yeah, really. Either they try and toss out the contract and try and make Tony and Khabib again, or they really got no choice and they got to go through with it.
0: And I think as well, because the UFC are going to be looking to try and make as much money as they can as quickly as possible to compensate for the lack of events, Mm -hmm. you can see them going for the quick money solution of Conor vs. Khabib too.
1: Maybe they could set up uh, Gaethje versus Ferguson and then Connor versus Khabib too.
0: That's the fear I have. I mean, Mm -hmm. I want to see Tony versus Khabib because I want those questions everyone has about that fight answering. Everybody does. Everybody does. If you are a hardcore (laughs) fan of the sport, that is the dream match. My fear is, I've got this awful feeling, you know Tony versus Khabib will happen. But it's going to be like a Mayweather-Pacquiao situation where both guys are out of their prime, and we don't get the match we should have done.
1: <laughs> okay, I thought you are going to say it's going to be like Ngannou versus Lewis, where they just stand there and stare at each other. But I don't see Ferguson doing that.
0: <laughs> I, to be honest, if there is going to be any sort of shenanigans around that fight. I picture it being something like a uh, like Vitor versus Randy or Stevens versus mm-hmm. Rodriguez, like a really early I Oh
1: yeah. Could you imagine?
0: Uh, (laughs) They would pelt the arena. They would pelt the octagon.
1: Yeah, it would just be like that Mexico card with Stevens versus um
0: uh
1: Rodriguez, yeah. Just be like that. (laughs) They'd be throwing hot dogs and stuff at him. (laughs)
0: Well there wouldn't be a crowd actually, would there?
1: Oh yeah. Depends. Depends if they wait.
0: And it depends on whether or not the fight, where that fight actually takes place. Because that brings us on to our second topic. Because one of the ideas that Dana White has been putting forward. Now, we all know that certain sports promotions and certain faces of the sport. Like to throw out these outlandish statements to try and get a little bit of media attention. Now, if you follow Formula One. The old boss of Formula One was a guy called Bernie Eccleston. He used to have a few controversial ideas including... Um, putting sprinklers on the side of the track to intentionally make it wet. Really? When you follow Formula (laughs) 1 and you know that sort of outlandish bravado persona, it makes no surprise when Dana White comes out and says we are going to be hosting fights on an artificial island especially for international fighters to take part in
1: yeah that's so strange like my first question is how is that really gonna work are are they gonna make a island commission or something like what about judging and that type of stuff like you need a commission for that so are they just gonna make their own dana white commission or something like really how do you even do that
0: (laughs) and i wanted to know where where it's going to be taking place Mm Mhm. like is it going to be like some sort of like what was it was a bulldog fighting championship they used to hold events in Costa Rica, actually on the beach.
1: Let me look that up. Bulldog Championships.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. Like, Masvidal was talking about it. I was listening to him on uh, one of the podcasts. And he was mentioning how he actually fought um, in Costa Rica actually, on these beach events. And he was saying <coughs> that one of, the, one of the big determinants that came from those events was that they used the tarp as the actual canvas. Okay, so their feet were blistering like hell, yeah, basically, they... if you were put on the ground, if you were flat on the ground, you were done for because your back was just burning.
1: That's so strange. they didn't let you just fight
0: on the sand, they put like a like a blue tarp down <laughs> it's It's a very surreal event. I was actually thinking, you know if I can get enough content for it to actually do a video on Bulldog Fighting Championship okay that could work I mean there's a lot of interesting stories behind it obviously you've got that but there's a lot of corruption around the owner of it he eventually gets arrested but obviously I'll leave that to people when I actually get around to doing this video if I ever do but getting back on topic is the idea we've always talked about Dana trying to bend the rules to try and make things happen this is another example of that is this again just too ridiculous for its own good I mean, it's, there's a difference between fighting on tribal lands in a Native American casino, but then building an artificial island, flying in all the fighters during the middle of a pandemic, actually sailing out all the resources that you'll need to actually set up an octagon and set up all the equipment for the commentary teams, etc. This is, this is something out of Mortal Kombat
1: Mm hmm i saw a meme somebody uh posted it was like shang sun beat dana white in the bidding for the island (laughs) so he lost out on the bidding war but i think what dana said is he was going to try and turn the island into sort of like a ufc pi like sort of like a mini version of that i think he said like next week it'll be ready and then other day i heard it would be a month until it's ready
0: so who knows Do you think this is maybe just Dana trying to keep the UFC in the news? Well, I don't know, really.
1: It depends on if he actually gets it done. Like, if he got it done, it would make sense. But if he's just blowing smoke up our ass for no reason, he's not even buying an island, like, no real point.
0: It wouldn't surprise me with Dana White. But then again, it wouldn't surprise me that... Considering this guy moved, well, he moved UFC 232 on mm-hmm. seven days' notice to a completely different arena to try and incorporate John Jones. So it, it's not beyond the realm of possibility for Dana to be pulling this kind of stunt.
1: Mm-hmm. It's just uh, wondering how much did the island cost? <laughs> Dana's loaded, so I wonder how much he had to spend on that.
0: That's another big factor though. actually. We've been talking about fight pay. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a lot of people make the argument that those who want to be part of 249 aren't doing it out of the love of fighting, but out of the desperation to put bread on their family's desk. Mm-hmm. Family's desk, that's my own, that's myself. I don't actually have a table in my house. <laughs> I owe my dinner at my desk here. Uh, but no, putting bread on guilty the family's of that. Table, putting bread on the family's tables. And yet he's willing to spend millions and millions of pounds on a temporary arena in the middle of the Pacific Ocean or wherever it is.
1: Yeah, really, could it be like in the Mediterranean or is it going to be closer to the U.S. really? Maybe he bought the island where the Statue of Liberty is on. Maybe he's going to turn that to the the U.S. CPI mini with the Statue of Liberty in the background. That would be sick.
0: Maybe it's Epstein's Island. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lost me trying to follow there. <laughs> yeah, whenever you mention Jeffrey Epstein, it's always a very dodgy thing. Even now, you're <laughs> always going to be very wary when you talk about Jeffrey Epstein. But no, the big reason I feel like Dana would want to try and push ahead head with Fight Island, again, I'm still wary of whether or not it's taking place. But... Yeah, it's fair enough that you can fly all these people out to this remote tropical location for these fights to take place. But if you look at Brazil, for example, there were a lot of fighters who had to drop out of 250, which was, Mm -hmm. at that point, still going to be taking place. We had about 10 or 12 Brazilian fighters who were just saying, look, I can't get into the US. I can't, obviously, prepare for this fight. And yet you're trying to ask those people to be taking part in an event in this unknown location in the middle of the Pacific?
1: Well, I think what Dana said is he was going to give everybody... uh, Well, not give everybody. He was going to fly everybody out on private jets and stuff. So, (laughs) it's a bit strange. But, uh, yeah, really, it's uh, quite a strange area that we're in right now. But I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to get it ready in case things don't really improve. In case things just keep going the way that they are. If it keeps on getting worse and worse, he'll have a backup plan.
0: And I do like that from Dana. Just to be honest, mm-hmm. like Dana is both a love or hate figure for me when it comes to this sport, because I love his bullheadedness. I love the fact that whenever somebody tells him no, he'll try and do his best to work around that. However, at a time like this, you need somebody with a little bit more professionalism, and I feel that Dana isn't that sort of responsible figure that we need during the middle of what is a global pandemic. To be honest, I'm surprised that ESPN haven't coloured them about Fight Island. Because if you mm-hmm. have issues with a native American casino, doing fights in the middle of, of the Pacific isn't really going to be that much better, is it?
1: Yeah, really. It could be pretty much more dangerous. Like, what if a plane crashes or something on the way there?
0: Like, that will be horrible. And what if somebody gets COVID nineteen who is part of the setup, whether that is a fighter or even one of the um guys who sets up the arena?
1: Well I think that happened with WWE it wasn't uh it wasn't somebody like on the roster. They said it was who was it? I don't think they named who it was, but they said it wasn't a current like fighter that they have on the roster, but somebody did test positive that's working with them.
0: And they're still going ahead with live events. They're still going to try and Mm -hmm. go back to going live, obviously at their performance center. That in itself has been a big controversial discussion topic in the entertainment field.
1: Yeah, I tried watching one of those when they were at their uh, private arena, and it was so strange listening to WWE without an audience. It was really bizarre.
0: (laughs) Not going to lie, though, uh, did you watch the Boneyard Boneyard match?
1: Uh, No, I don't think so gotta look that up.
0: Look up Wrestlemania, the Boneyard match, Undertaker versus AJ Styles. Honestly, one of the funniest things that you'll watch. He's Googling right now.
1: <laughs> Rematch at WWE SummerSlam 2020?
0: Is that it? I'll let you look it up after the show. Yeah,
1: don't worry about that now.
0: <laughs> that being said, one of the things that's come out this week is it. it's really made me realize how much power ESPN has over mm-hmm. the UFC.
1: Mm-hmm. Could you see Fox doing something like this?
0: I think Fox might have done, but especially during the Skype, not the Skype, during the like the Spike TV era, mm-hmm. when it was a little bit hardcore, when it was still a little bit niche. I could see Dana going ahead with the Native American c- casinos and Fight Island, all that sort of thing, um, because that's the type of person that Dana is, especially during those sort of dark ages of the sport.
1: Yeah, it's a shame Ray's not on the show, because I was going to ask him, what really is a promoter's main goal during this time, like, what really can they do?
0: We did hope to try and have Ray Thompson, who is a local (laughs) British MMA promoter, Um, Mm -hmm. obviously he had to reschedule, but we do hope to have him on next week's show, so fingers crossed that can happen, and it'd be good to have another another face, another perspective to be talking about what's been happening, during some very turbulent weeks. Mm -hmm. I do think... Just going back to Dana White and the whole ESPN thing, I think I read somewhere that part of the reason why Dana was pushing ahead with these events was because the USC has a contract with ESPN that they have to hold 42 events a year. Um, Obviously, with the pandemic happening, Dana's been stuck on, I would say, 12 or 13 so far this year. So, the chances of him reaching that number is going to be very, very hard. So, it wouldn't surprise me if Dana was pushing ahead with 249 just to try and coax ESPN and say, hey, I'll cancel this event, but in return, we need to drop the number of shows that we have agreed to. Yeah, it does make sense if he was
1: talking about setting up fights and putting them on every single week. It does make sense now that you think about that contract clause that they probably had.
0: Because I know, I think it's the Zone have been quite vigilant with their contracts and basically saying, Hey, you told us you'll be doing this number of events. If you can't reach those, we don't pay you.
1: Okay. Yeah. Bit strange. Zone's probably in a
0: bind right now. So, and Dana White as well, it just shows the power of Disney. Does Mm -hmm. this technically make Nunez a Disney princess?
1: Yeah, I guess.
0: <laughs> should be like someone like like a like Moana or someone like that, one of those sort of new ways, sort of independent, proud, sort of strong princesses.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Boss Logic should make like a an edit of just MMA princesses. That would be perfect. That would be a great idea.
0: <laughs> On Twitter, hashtag that. Hashtag him and tell him to make that, please.
1: Yeah, hashtag MMA princesses.
0: <laughs> so. We move on to topic number three. Now, this was a fight which was sort of, dare I say, it was briefly announced. And then, obviously, UFC 249 got cancelled and then all the subsequent events. But it became very clear that the UFC weren't, that because of the travel restrictions, because of the visa issues, a lot of those fighters who were international weren't going to be able to take part in the subsequent UFC events. One of those was Jose Aldo. Now Aldo was supposed to be headlining the fight card at USC 250, he'd be taking on Henry Cejudo for the Bantamweight title. We discussed this a couple of times on the preview preview shows, on the podcast itself, where we were a little bit cynical about why Jose Aldo was getting this title shot, why people like Piotr Jan, Corey Sandhagen, Aljamain Sterling were being passed over for a guy who had only fought Bantamweight once and was coming off a loss to Marlon Marais. Mm-hmm. Aldo, of course, can't get into the country. His place in USC 250 was under threat. And you're thinking, finally, the Bantamweight division's going to sort itself out. They're going to give that title shot to a much more deserving contender. Instead, the news comes out <laughs> that Dominic Cruz is being tipped to face Henry Cejudo for the Bantamweight title.
1: Yeah, that's such a strange decision to pick. Cruise right off the bat. I feel like uh, the bantamweight division, it needs to get gears going again It needs to get the top five opponents fights again. We need to get that clear contender We need to find out who that clear contender for Cejudo is
0: Now I wouldn't have an issue with This sort of stunt playing out if it was a weaker division Like I know mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who had issues with GSP versus Michael Bisping at UFC 217 But I don't think that that division had as many massively strong contenders in the way that Bantamweight does right now. I mean, you've got Piotr Jan, who's been absolutely knocking it out of the park. Aljamain Sterling, great with the form. Corby Sandhagen, who I think is one of the most overlooked guys in the UFC right now. Any one of those three would have been, in my opinion, a great opponent for Henry Cejudo. It just once again... And it's an issue with the UFC I've been having a lot more recently. They're starting to put the money fights before mm-hmm. the meritocracy. And I think they see Dominic Cruz as the big name. Yes, he was, he still is to me the greatest Bantamweight champion of all time. But he's also a guy who lost his last fight. And that fight was, what, four years ago? Put it, to, put it in perspective Ronda fought more recently than Dominic Cruz. <laughs>
1: Yeah, because wasn't she technically the main event? She was the main event,
0: so Cruz fought (laughs) just before her. So right before more recently, the Dominic Cruz. Yet Cruz is on the verge of a title shot.
1: Yeah, it's quite strange.
0: And again, it's also an issue as well that people are having with Henry Cejudo. Because, Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong, Henry Cejudo is a fantastic fighter. In terms of, as a combat athlete, for what he did with... Uh, in the Olympics with the wrestling then of course beating Mighty Mouse, TJ Dillashaw yeah TJ was depleted, Marlon Marais fantastic run of four but this feels to me like Cejudo ducking dangerous opponents yeah it sort of looks like he's just going for the the money
1: matches really like you could have just waited for like maybe Marais versus Jan that would have been a great fight to be a title eliminator Like, I could have seen Jan beating and fighting for the title, really. But instead, he's just taking a fight with Cruz. Makes no sense.
0: But even before then, it was going to be Jose Aldo. Again, another guy who is more about name than it is about his actual merits, his actual deservingness of a title shot. Don't get me wrong, I would love to see Dominic Cruz back. And in my opinion, he is still young enough and still fresh enough that he could make another run of the title. However... Cruz himself needs to earn it. So mm-hmm. I, would do, I would do Cruz versus Sandhagen and have Cejudo fight Piotr Jan. Because I think Jan has yeah. certainly deserved it, especially with the way he dismantled Faber.
1: Yeah, I feel like that was sort of a stamp on the coffin for his title shot. That was pretty much perfect.
0: Why do you think the UFC is so unwilling to give these sort of top five bantamweights the rope?
1: I don't know. It sort of seems like they're looking just for the money fights now. Like I feel like uh, Yohan Romero versus Izzy—that was sort of the start of all this. Like it feels like they're just looking for the big paydays, the big pay-per-view numbers.
0: Because the alternative to Romero would have been Jared Cannonier. Yeah.
1: And, and you couldn't see that
0: getting as many numbers. No. And I think that's—I understand it from the business perspective of the UFC. Because there is a financial side to this, but meritocracy should always come first.
1: Mm -hmm. Like you don't see um, Bellator setting up MVP versus Douglas Lima or anything in a title fight or anything like that. Like Bellator, they're doing pretty good with that. They they're giving proper fighters their proper title shots. You know, um, who's the next guy fighting Bader? That guy's definitely worthy of a title shot. Who is that guy? It starts with a V. Some Russian guy, I forget, but yeah, it's just strange that they're going for all these money fights now.
0: I think that's that was always going to be a given, considering the new owners and, of course, Endeavor themselves. They have a lot of financial issues going on behind the scenes. Uh, there was a, a payout for all their investors. We're talking like three hundred, four hundred million dollars. Wow! So, Holy. obviously. They need to try and make money as much as as quickly as they can, so they're sort of sacrificing the worthiness of the sport. But at the same time, this has always been part of the sport on the whole. Like we criticize Endeavor for doing it quite rightly so, but is this any different to Brock Lesnar getting the title shot off a two-on-one record, or Chael Sonnen versus John Jones? Yeah, there was definitely a
1: bit more space in between the money fights back then, like. Um, but yeah, in terms of Brock, that was definitely a money decision. They definitely saw big numbers with that title shot. So they gave him that, but it's quite strange. Didn't he only win one fight and they gave him a title shot right after?
0: Yes, he he won his UFC debut, got signed by the company, lost to Frank Mia <clears> and <throat> then beat Heath Herbing, who, yeah, Heath Herbing was a big name around the Pride event, but he was well past it by then.
1: Yeah, that's so strange that they gave him a title shot off of Hugh
0: Herring. <laughs> the first ever video I did, I won't watch it because it is god-awfully bad, but the first video I ever did was the top 10 undeserved title shots, and Brock Lesnar was number one.
1: Yeah, I could definitely see that. Maybe I'll go back and watch it for you.
0: <laughs> so, where would Dominic Cruz rank if we were talking about undeserved title shots? Because, yeah, greatest bantamweight of all time, but a guy who hasn't won a fight since Uriah Faber in June 2016.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I want to say, sort of, it's not as bad as the Brock Lesnar one, and it's certainly not as bad as the Chael Sonnen one. Like, they purely gave Chael Sonnen that fight because of his trash talk, really. Like, they just saw the dollar signs and all the lead-up to the fight. <laughs> but... Yeah, I don't think it's nearly as bad as those. I'd rank it probably a little bit above Yoel Romero versus Izzy. I feel like it's well, way more deserved than Izzy versus Romero, that's for sure. Yeah.
0: The uh, the only argument argument you can make with Romero was that the Paolo Costa decision was really yeah. close. Mm-hmm. Personally, I scored it for Costa, but I can see why people thought Romero won that fight.
1: Mm-hmm. But yeah, now we're giving fighters title shots off of losses. <laughs> Strange time. Yeah.
0: I call it the Holly Holmes strategy.
1: Mhm, That's a good idea.
0: <laughs> uh, we move on to our next subject. Now in terms of title fights, um, and again it goes back to UFC 249 because the UFC were looking at any sort of possibilities for matches that could happen on that card. One of them that was put forward is what we're going to be discussing for top number four, which is that Jorge Masvidal was offered the opportunity to fight Kamaru Usman at USC 249. This fight has obviously been rumoured for a good number of months. Um, at one point it was linked to be headlining International Fight Week, which would have been 252. Uh, Masvidal was offered this fight. He turned it down for money reasons. Now, this normally wouldn't be a major issue. I'm fairly certain that sort of contract negotiations play a big part in a lot of tighter fights and a lot of big matches falling through. I think my big concern with this fight is that it's Jorge Masvidal who's done this. And considering Masvidal is he's the BMF. He is the bad he is the baddest motherfucker in the sport and he, he's no nonsense. He doesn't care about all that hoopla that comes with it. So seeing him being fixated with money, I think maybe sort of disappointing from sort of the persona
1: that the UFC wanted to portray Hmm. I think like the UFC they're looking for a guy who you know they wanted him to fight all the time they didn't want him to say no but that just whole back and forth last week with Usman and Masvidal it was just ridiculous you had Usman not wearing a shirt going on Instagram live saying that Jorge Masvidal is not taking a fight it's not BS and throughout that whole thing I, I believed Usman I thought Usman was telling the truth out of everybody there
0: yeah, I think Kamaru comes across like quite a humble guy, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see him being the sort of sort of gesticulate and try and plant these sort of stories over what is and what isn't happening. I maybe understand it from Masvidal's perspective. I mean, he would be wanting a lot more money to be fighting, given the yeah. climate. But if this is... But again, it's this whole idea that we have this no-nonsense guy who doesn't care about all the BS, just wants to go in there and brawl with everyone. To see him haggling over money, not a good look.
1: Yeah, it's quite strange.
0: <clears throat> Where do you stand on this? I mean, especially like Masvidal versus Usman in general. Like, like, how do you see that fight going? Is it a fight that you're particularly interested in watching? Because I would have maybe said, hey, Kamaru Usman, nice enough guy, but he's not the most entertaining fighter in the world. Yet, after the Colby fight, there is a renewed interest in him, because credit where it's due; mm-hmm. those two knocked it out the park.
1: Hmm. A lot of people didn't expect a, a match like that. I, I expected a bit up. more clinching.
0: I just thought it was going to be a grappling match. I thought whoever got the first takedown mm-hmm. was going to be the one who dominated. It was going to be 50-45. I even said on the podcast, and I got a lot of grief for this when I did it on the preview show. Um, I said this fight isn't worthy of headline in the pay per view. I would much rather go for Holloway versus Volkanovsky, which is guaranteed to be much more entertaining. So I think
1: I said the same thing actually.
0: <laughs> you didn't get truckloads of downvotes for doing it though.
1: No, <laughs> I didn't say it online. <laughs>
0: no. Yeah. The, the 245 preview show in a lot of ways maybe wasn't my finest hour with a lot of the predictions, but I I was justified in them at the time, but I was proven wrong. Credit where it's due. Fantastic match. Back on topic. Mm-hmm. There is a renewed interest in Kamaru Usman because of that fight. Jorge Masvidal, of course, is riding the biggest momentum of his career. Mm-hmm. And I think In terms of... Go ahead. In terms of his star power, in terms of what he, I mean, obviously, he's had he had two spectacular knockouts in a row. Then he beat Nate Diaz, who again is another one of those biggest names currently in the sport. Whether or not Nate still has that star power right now, after pretty much getting humbled in that uh, BMF fight, yeah. uh, that's going to be interesting to see whether or not he comes back. Masvidal, yeah, really.
1: I'll
0: let you go, go first. ahead.
1: I could see Nate Diaz um, maybe only coming back if he pushes for like Connor 3 or something but I could see him pulling like a, a Nick Diaz and asking for way too much money on his next fight
0: <laughs> I'm in that same boat I think Nate's only going to come back for the third Connor fight and we don't know whether mm. or not that's going to be happening because that's Connor's fallback in my opinion if mm. if Khabib doesn't happen and Gagey doesn't happen he'll go back to Nate that that third fight will happen at some point.
1: Mm-hmm. Makes sense.
0: I think maybe from Usman's perspective as well, he's maybe realizing, hey, this fandom that I have is very limited. So I want to try and cash in when I can. But also because also as well, I personally don't see Masvidal having much for Usman when that fight happens.
1: Yeah, I could see Usman definitely employing his wrestling in that fight. I could just see him just wrestle fucking uh, Usman or Masvidal the whole fight I could just see it being a whole wrestle tumble the whole fight it's got... sort of similar to uh, Khabib versus Michael Johnson I could see it sort of like that <laughs>
0: that's a good comparison because I think Masvidal can catch Usman early he's got yes. the power and he's got the boxing skills that he can do that but if he doesn't get him out in the first round it's going to be one way traffic yeah, definitely one-way wrestling traffic from Usman. So, that's maybe a reason why Masvidal is haggling over money. But again, it's, maybe, it's mm-hmm. disappointing that the BMF is basically a prizefighter.
1: Mm-hmm. Quite strange. It wasn't the same BMF that we were hearing back in, uh, when was that fight? November? Not the same guy.
0: I still love the fact, you know, that they like, tell an MMA fan in sort of 2001 that we would have an event in Madison Square Garden with two blokes fighting to be crowned the sport's baddest motherfucker. The highest paid actor in the world, The Rock, is presenting the BMF belt. And the President of the United States is in attendance to watch an MMA event.
1: Yeah, it's like a sketch from The Simpsons or something.
0: (laughs) That's one they haven't predicted yet. Yeah. (laughs) So... We've discussed the four topics that we planned out between ourselves, so this is basically where we start mingling between ourselves, we ask each other questions, we just talk about some of the tidbits which have been happening in the world, this is our viewer questions section, um, obviously unfortunately we didn't have all that many questions which were posted into us, please do, we've got another 20 minutes of this show that we need to fill with anything. So, I'm going to be asking you a couple of questions. Now, this is one which I've been thinking about because I've been looking at some of the anniversaries which have been taking place. And on Friday, it was the 10th anniversary of UFC 112, which features one of the most controversial MMA matches of all time. Anderson Silva versus Damian Meyer. It takes place in Abu Dhabi. For anybody who's quite new to the sport, doesn't know that fight. Basically, Anderson Silva has completely outclassed Damien Meyer in this fight. He recognises from a very early stage, Damien has nothing for him. But rather than trying to go out there and finish Meyer, Anderson spends the entire fight basically clowning him. So he's dancing in front of him, he's hiding behind Dan Miragliotta, and the crowd just crap all over it. Dana White is livid. He actually gives the bell to Anderson's manager and says, I'm not going to put it on him. If you want to do it, you do it. And Dana spends the entire, I think next week or so, apologizing to the UAE's top brass. So my question to you is, what are the worst title fights in MMA history?
1: Um, i got to think, uh, which one was that? Vitor Belfort versus Randy? That ended pretty controversially. That was the eye but... hawk, wasn't it? He could, yeah. he could
0: find his eye.
1: Yeah, that was a pretty rough one, but uh, the best fight I could compare Silva versus Maya to would be uh, Mike Jackson versus CM Punk. That's like the best example of a fight like that. But in terms of title fights, I think Nunes versus Shevchenko 2, That was that was a
0: little bit lackluster, considering the hype behind it as well. Yeah, because that was that got a lot of bravado. People saying, "Oh, these are the greatest women fighters. They're finally going to be squaring off and." The, the first fight as well was, it had as many questions as it did answers, because we okay. saw Nunez, like, struggling with a cardio and thinking, hey, Shevchenko has another extra two rounds to try and work with, what's going to happen there it was a points fight it was a points mm-hmm. fight, and personally, again, I'm a little bit biased because I'm very pro-Chev in my opinion, Shevchenko won that fight and I will stand by that, to everyone on social media, Shevchenko won that fight
1: yeah, I agree. The second fight, Shevchenko definitely won that.
0: Yeah. Uh, in terms of my own personal choice for um, the worst title fights, I'm going to go a little bit left field. I'm going to go away from the UFC. Melvin Manhoof versus Rafael Carvalho, the first fight.
1: Oh, okay. Was that Bellator? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I've seen that one.
0: <laughs> Nothing that happened.
1: Yeah. It's quite strange because the whole fight, like the lead-up to it, they were just talking about Melvin Manu's power. Like They were going to say, oh, this is going to be such an exciting fight, and then nothing happened.
0: (laughs) It was actually, I believe, so bad they had to run a rematch back immediately as an apology. Wow. Okay. (laughs) So yeah, that would personally be one of my choices in terms of others that I can think of. Um, We can go old school, Pat Militich versus Mikey Burnett which is basically okay. short-pulling for the entire duration of the fight. Um, Ken vs. Seven, versus... if, we count, oh, yeah. if we count the super fight title, Ken versus Dan7-2, that would be up there as well. A lot of them are rematches, I'm noticing.
1: What about uh, Home vs. Uh, JDR?
0: I, I actually think that that would have been serviceable as a three-round corner. The fight itself mm-hmm. wasn't bad. But I think the two extra rounds, and this is where Holly especially becomes the sort of clinch fighter. I sort of call her, Mm -hmm. I call her Jared Rushalt, or (laughs) Janet Rocholt, that's my nickname for her, because she's just (laughs) become this clinch fighter, and that's where it started with the Durandami fight. Um, And then, of course, there's the whole controversy about the late punches. Personally, I would have, I would have deducted GDR a point after the second punch. Yeah, one, I don't
1: know why they didn't do that. The
0: first one you can write off as an accident because of momentum and getting caught in the moment. But once you did it the second time, that's sort of like, hey, I gave you a warning, now I'm going to deduct you. That was like <sighs> a yellow card offense, and then... So, that being said, though, again, it's another one. I, I, I think GDR won three rounds, so that fight should have been a draw. Which, given what happened with the featherweight division, with GDR turning down crits. That would have been the better result anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, JDR versus uh Chris, that would have been a great fight, but JDR just got JDR so few. JDR would sour have caused Chris mouth.
0: a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. You have to remember she outstruck Nunez.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that fight, if uh, she kept it on the feet, I could have seen JDR winning that fight. Like she was doing pretty good in the striking there.
0: Any other bad title fights that come to mind? Um. Hmm. Like what? What? Do
1: Bellator, we, Bellator. Um. Which one was it? Czech Congo versus Ryan Bader. He like oh, poked them the in the nose. That yeah. The he, like poked him in the nose, and the fight got called off.
0: <laughs> like what? What determines like a bad fight for you? Because th- this sort of differs for a lot of people. Because you might make the argument that some. Like fights that last, say, 15, 16 seconds, those are bad fights because you've hyped yourself up and then you've got, like, Katzingano charging in, Ronda taking you down and then submitting <laughs> in, like, 14 seconds. There's some people who might think that's a bad fight because you want a competitive brawl and instead mm-hmm. you get a squash match. Yeah, you got to look at it from
1: two sides of the coin. Like, you got to think of... Mostly, I go for lack of action. Like, if a fight gets stopped early, that's not really anybody's fault. Like, the eye poke with uh, Yarir and uh, Stevens, like, I wouldn't really call that a horrible fight. It's just sort of a crazy accident that happened. But I look for, like, lack of action. That's how I know if a fight's bad, if there's not really anything happening. I'm fine with clinching and groundwork. That's fine with me. It's a fight, MMA. But when it's just... In Ganu versus Lewis or Yoel versus Izzy where they're just staring at each other that's that's a bad fight for me
0: on the subject of Rhonda what have you made of her recent comments over the past couple of days oh yeah she's like number one on
1: Trending on Twitter for like two days. It was crazy. <laughs> she wasn't even doing anything. She just made a statement saying that didn't she break uh, Key Fabe or Key Fob, whatever that's called, where you break character and you actually talk about the behind the scenes at WWE? Didn't she say like the fans were ungrateful or something?
0: Personally, I think she knows what she's doing. I think this yeah. is, I think they're trying to build some sort of storyline between herself and when she comes back and. It's a cheap way to get the crowd riled up against you. So mm-hmm. I think I think she knows what she's doing. I mean, because I believe she was at the performance centre before the pandemic. There's a picture with okay. her and Cain Velasquez. So I think this is part of an act. But I'm always been that little bit cynical. Okay. It wouldn't surprise me if Rondé is genuinely upset, because she is quite thin-skinned. But I am just a bit sceptical.
1: Well, didn't she release like a a video where she was getting her hair done in like the dressing room, and she was just same talking thing. so much crap. Yeah, it's pretty much the same thing happened
0: there. And, and, and as well as well, if you did watch any of the WWE when she was playing a heel, when she was a bad guy, she was loving it. You could see she was enjoying it.
1: <laughs> yeah, my favorite moment is when she uh, failed to point at the WrestleMania sign. Like it looked so awkward when she did that. <laughs> Looked like she was like dabbing to the sign or something.
0: <laughs> what about you? What's your sort of viewer question for the day?
1: Oh yeah, I wanted to ask you, did you see nobody is reporting on this really, but bare knuckle fighting championship. Shannon yeah. Briggs. Yeah, they announced Shannon Briggs is going to be fighting for them. <laughs> Let me look up how old he is. Shannon. Maybe like
0: 400 years old, will not he?
1: He's 48. (laughs) Wow. I didn't realize he was 60-6. and I didn't realize he had that good of a record. Wow. But, yeah, I wonder who they're going to put him up against, really. They set up Hector Lombard versus Shannon Briggs. Like, just, wow. Like, (laughs) it feels like we're in another dimension.
0: And still fought relatively recently. Like, what was it, 2016 was his most recent fight. And he's on a, what, 9-10 ten-fight winning streaks, so it's not, I mean, it's not ridiculous. I mean, it's it's obviously been done for a paycheck, and a lot of those fighters he fought were, yeah. were basically cans. But, it's an interesting acquisition for BK. Um, although, I don't really think that boxers are all that great with BK. Because, mm-hmm. yes, you obviously going to know how to throw the most technical punch in the world. However... I don't think boxers have the durability in the way that, say, MMA crossover fighters were, because a big part of the reason why Lobov beat Malinacci was because Pauly, I think, broke his hand quite early on, and yet Lobov has that sort of durability that he was willing to work around his issues and uh, eked out the decision.
1: Yeah, like, MMA fighters are, I don't want to say they're used to injuries, but they can um, sort of go through them if they happen in a fight where boxers, like, if they break their hand or something, they're pretty much screwed for the rest of the fight, you know
0: I agree, and I think because it's something we touched on with our previous episode, where we talk about how, I think MMA cornermen are a bit less willing to throw in the towel, in the way the boxers are because mm-hmm. they know that these fighters are tough they know that they're durable um, and I mean, don't get me wrong, boxing boxers are as well but it's a different kind of durable for MMA fighters.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because in boxing, you get, it's all to the head, really. You can get punched to the body, but most of the time, you get, like, punched over 100 times to the head in over, like, 12 rounds. So, yeah, durability is definitely not a boxer's strong suit because they just got to go through so much chaos for so long.
0: Has there been any news on who Briggs' opponent could be? <sighs>
1: I really don't know who they could set him up against. I think they said that they signed the Iranian Hulk as well. That crazy guy who looks like he is, I don't know, his arms are massive. But <laughs> I don't see him setting up that fight. Really, maybe they could set him up against
0: maybe one of their champions or something. I, I
1: really don't know.
0: Who is the, who is the bare-knuckle heavyweight champion? Like, I know Bigfoot and Gonzaga fought, but I don't think any of those for, for a belt
1: originally it was um chase sherman originally chase sherman was the champion and then the greatest fighter of all time beat him joey beltron is now the bkfc heavyweight champion now there's a name
0: from the past
1: Hmm, that's my brother's favorite fighter
0: <laughs> been left field
1: yeah, well, he did one of the biggest upsets in USC, where he beat uh, that Gracie. He did. That Hollis
0: a... gassed himself out so badly in that fight.
1: Yeah, a bunch of buddies that bet on Joey Beltran got paid big bucks that night.
0: <laughs> I, um, in terms of my family, in terms of, like, weird fandom that they have, uh, my mom, for some reason, loves Carlos Barza.
1: <laughs> okay. My mom's an Inganu fan. In
0: my window, I wonder <laughs> why...
1: She was booing Stepe when he was clinching in Ghana at 220. I was like, "Mom, it's a fight. It's mixed martial arts. Can't boo for that."
0: Honestly, <laughs> honestly, comments from if you, if your parents or casual fans are watching an MMA fight, they come in, and they watch you an MMA fight with you. Honestly, they can make some of the funniest comments in the world. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, like some of the ones that my dad's brought up in the past couple uh, past couple of years or so. Uh, Louis Pena looks like an insect.
1: <laughs> yeah, he does a little bit. The hair, it's so wacky. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, yeah, I'm looking here now. Ronda Rousey was number 15 on Google's trending page on Saturday with 50,000 plus searches.
0: Retired four years ago and still the most talked about person in the spot right now.
1: Mm-hmm. feels like both MMA fans and WWE fans are coming together to hate on her.
0: <laughs> and on that cheery note, it's time for us to end the show. Mm-hmm. I want to say a big thank you to everybody who has been tuning in. Hopefully, this has been killing an hour with your time. Um, again, we've been struggling through a lot of stuff in terms of uh, content for this show. Hopefully, when things do pick up, we'll be able to go for like another half an hour or so talking about all the big events all the big stories which have been happening um for next week's show we're hoping to have ourselves a special guest uh, ray thompson who is the um the dana white as it were when it comes to almighty fighting championships which is a regional promotion here in the uk we hope to try and get ray on the show this weekend unfortunately circumstances changed um, we've got ourselves a couple of questions, which we'd love to ask him. I'm sure Claire will as well. And we'll also be talking about uh, some of the other developing stories that might be happening over the next seven days. And trust me, after the past seven days we've had, even though we're in the middle of a global pandemic, I still think we had a lot of good talking points, Claire.
1: Oh, yeah. It feels like even though nothing's going on, we still got stuff to talk about. we got stuff to talk about, nothing going on.
0: <laughs> That's a good thing about the internet. If you are struggling, you can just... Call it on the fly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, most most people have just been talking about Tiger King, like John Anik and Michael Bisping. They've just been talking about Tiger King.
1: Mhm. Tiger King's that number one thing. Have you seen that yet?
0: I haven't. No, I don't have Netflix.
1: Okay. Is Netflix good where you are?
0: <laughs> uh, it's not so much that Netflix is good. It's just I live in the two thousands. I'm st- I'm still a DVD man. I'm still watching <laughs> The Office right now on DVD.
1: Oh, yeah, I got Season 4 of The Office on DVD.
0: (laughs) Like I mentioned before, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, We will be back next week. Hopefully, Ray will be with us as well. Uh, That's been Claire Richardson. Claire, before you go, uh, just tell us about your new uh, video that you posted online.
1: Oh, yeah, I just posted a quick little one-punch hunt to get the interest going. It's nothing too crazy long. It's just a quick little edit to get everybody interested again. And then, uh, hopefully... I can start pumping out content weekly. I got a couple of videos already pretty much ready to go. Pretty much halfway done.
0: So hopefully this is start of my return properly. And I've also got a video which is in the works. That will be uploaded on Wednesday. This will hopefully be uploaded uh, sometime on Monday afternoon. Uh, until then, though, thank you very much for joining me. That's been Claire. I've been Carl Bainbridge. And we hope to see you again next week for more of the INC podcast. Bye-bye for now.
1: See ya.